0: Welcome to Hope Awakens, brought to you by It Is Written. We're just outside Chattanooga, Tennessee. A lot of people in our neighborhood still cleaning up after tornadoes came through the area 10 days ago. Some people still without power. What appear to have been tornadoes, at the very least extremely high and destructive winds, came just yards away from where I'm standing right now. Trees down everywhere on three sides of the It Is Written headquarters. But thank God we sustained no damage. Whatever you're facing right now, I'm glad to be able to welcome you. I want to welcome Jim, an aspiring young pilot in Wasilla, Alaska. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Hi to Kathy in London, Ontario, to Heather in Walla Walla, Washington, to all my friends in College Place, David in Rock, Michigan, Melissa in Perkins, Michigan, up there in the UP. It got all the way up to 37 degrees Fahrenheit in Perkins, Michigan today. That's three Celsius. 70 here today, 21 Celsius. Phoenix, Arizona, 91, 33 Celsius, warm enough. Whatever the weather is like where you are, welcome. In Hope Awakens, we're looking for lasting answers to the big questions of the moment, and we're already finding that there are solid answers to the questions people are wrestling with right now. Thank you for being part of Hope Awakens. I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written. In some parts of the world right now, they're talking about beginning to ease restrictions. But the easing, of course, will be incremental. Won't all happen at once. There are still big questions and big fears. There's talk about a second wave of COVID-19. Some saying it could be worse than the first wave. We would hope not, and we will pray not. So let me remind you to continue to do all of the things that make you and other people safer. I want to share some resources with you. These resources will make your study, journey, an even greater blessing. If you're looking for resources, previous presentations, if you want to submit a prayer request or ask me a question, visit hopeawakens.com, look for the yellow tabs at the top of the page. Especially we would like to pray for you. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, click the yellow tab for prayer requests at hopeawakens.com. Now listen to this, this is different. I'd love to know where you're watching from. Now, we know about a few folks. Here's what I'd love you to do. Text me at 423-264-2575. Of course, if you're in the Philippines or Ghana or somewhere, that might be a challenge. But if you're within North America, 423-264-2575. Let me know your hometown or the state you're you're watching from. And I'd love to be able to greet you personally. want to thank you for submitting questions. You know we can't answer all of them but we'll do our best to get through as many as our time allows. And so it's time for me to welcome to Hope Awakens my good friend, Doug Nair. Doug,
1: welcome. Thanks. Hey, John, it's good to be here with uh, our viewers at Hope Awakens. And we have a lot of questions. So let's get right into it. Okay, we'll go fast. Yes, Sue asks, if you had a child 40 years of age who suddenly died of a heart attack and they had not been to church in several years, but yet they loved the Lord with all their heart, is there a chance he or she might get into heaven?
0: Yes, of course there is. I want to tell you this. The Bible does not say we are saved by church through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Now, that's not to denigrate church. Folks ought to go to church. That's, that's the right thing to do. But, but don't think for a moment that because somebody cannot, it means they're not saved. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to trust your son to God. Pray for your son. Was it a son or a child? Either way, pray, trust that God is working, Uh, Pray that the Spirit of God will continue to tug on that heart, keep on praying, and believe that God is able to do what you or I could never do.
1: Maddie asks, is cremation a sin?
0: Uh, No, cremation is not a sin. It's just the disposal of a human body. Be nice to your children, because ultimately they will probably decide what happens to you. I would advise that you make your wishes clear, but cremation, burial, I mean... I don't want to get too agricultural here, but somebody who's lost at sea or meets with some unfortunate fate, it's all the same in the end. At the end end, there's going to be a resurrection. God's not dependent on there being an actual body that laid down in a grave for there to be a resurrection. It's not a sin, it's okay.
1: Jamie wants to know, what happens to your guardian angel when you die?
0: Unemployment. Unemployment, well, (laughs) actually, the angel's, Guardian angels are repurposed. Of course, God has plenty of work for angels to do in this universe. And once somebody passes away, that angel will go on to
1: other things. Vicky's having a Bible study over Matthew chapter 24, started with chapter 1, all the way to chapter 24. Could you please explain what verse 32 means?
0: I can give it a try. Matthew 24, 32. Yes, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near, but the key is in the next verse. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Jesus just gave a lot of the signs of the end of the world, signs of His own coming. He said, when you see those signs, you'll know that His coming is near as though it was at the door.
1: Now, Sylvester wants to know, how do you share with people about the soon coming of Jesus? without coming across as an alarmist or like that wicked servant who says, the Lord delays His coming.
0: Oh, look, you read Titus chapter two, where it says the return of Jesus is the blessed hope. So you share the blessed hope. You're not sharing alarm. You're not sharing delay. Share Jesus in the most hopeful way. The return of Jesus is the hope of this universe. Uh, Just be nice about it. There won't be any alarm in your sharing, I'm sure.
1: Donna wants to know, How long should you pray on something before you assume God's answer is no?
0: Okay, that's a very good question. The answer is, ask God and He will tell you. I know of a lady who prayed until she was 99 years old for the salvation of her son, and she was privileged to stand and watch this man give his life to God in baptism. Don't stop praying unless God tells you otherwise. How will He tell you? He just will. But if you are praying for for fine weather, for this coming weekend, no point praying about it next week. That's clear. If you're praying for, uh, graduation and your kids have left high school or college, so those things are obvious. But if you're praying about someone's salvation, why would you ever stop? If you're praying for victory in your own life, just keep on praying.
1: Brian wants to know, if Lucifer was created a perfect being in heaven, how was he tempted in heaven to begin with?
0: Oh, now, you must have missed last night. Uh, Last night we spoke about that. You read Isaiah 14, speaks about Lucifer's self problem. You read in Ezekiel chapter 28, says the same but adds more information. Go to hopeawakens.com. Watch last night's presentation again and you'll get it loud and clear.
1: This is from Isaac. Hi, I'm 10 years of age. If Jesus created the world, how was He born a baby?
0: Oh, hi, Isaac. Thanks for joining us. That is a great mystery. It's the mystery of what is called the incarnation. Jesus, God, the the Son of God, came to this earth and somehow grew inside the womb of His mother. I'd love to tell you exactly how, but I can't explain that. That's a miracle. See, God was involved in that. He did that
1: through the power of God. Kailani, who is 11 years of age, asks, was Nebuchadnezzar being selfish when he created the image all of gold?
0: Kailani, thank you for two things. One, for having such a beautiful name, and two, for asking such a good question. Yes, he was being selfish. The head of gold meant that was Babylon. After that, other kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar said, no way. Babylon is going to last forever, make the whole thing of gold. That was selfish. Yes.
1: Edwin would like to know, how can I live a pleasing life to God?
0: Oh, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Look, I might actually answer it this way. Edwin... The question was, how can I live a life that's pleasing to God? Is that right, Doug? That's, that's the question. Okay, I'm gonna answer your question by saying this. You cannot. That's what I'm gonna say, you cannot. Now, if you'd like to hear the rest of the answer, hang in there with me. Now, don't, 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 don't stop watching now after what I've said. Hang in there. We'll get to the rest of the answer. Great question. Part A, you cannot. Part B, that's coming up.
1: Anna I would like to know, John, How do I understand more about spiritual battles?
0: Well, you know, here's what you do. Get into the Bible and read, read and study, study and read. Let the Word of God soak into your life. That's the way. There's not an encyclopedia that can help you, but this book, The Holy Bible, it has the answers. You read this, you'll know everything God wants you to know.
1: This is more of a comment from Levon. I still don't understand why God uh, lets evil exist. I would give my life, my freedom, I would even become a robot so that all evil, past, present, and future, would never exist.
0: Yeah, but Lavon, that's the good, the good the good thing is that you're not in charge here, God is. You see, that seems like a good idea to you, but it would be absolutely disastrous if that happened, because what would it make God? You can't make God what He's not, and God gives freedom to us, and He won't compel us. You are glad about that. Don't even think for a moment that you're not. God doesn't want you to be a robot. A robot cannot love. God wants your love given freely from a loving heart.
1: Rosemary asks, John, I think you're an excellent teacher. All right. I was biblically surprised when you, as a strong believer, answered questions related to the new normal. Uh For example, as believers in Psalm 91, we are totally protected from all pestilence and plagues.
0: Oh, no, we're not. You know, when someone says, oh, you're a good teacher, I know there's a but coming. So the verse you're thinking of is, there is no evil, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Uh, Except that there are times it happens. Read the story of Job. Job was afflicted with a grievous pestilence. There are times terrible things happen even to believers. We wish they didn't. We will know in eternity why God allowed it. But in eternity, we won't be complaining. We'll say, God, You were right. So, um, no, the the truth of the matter is we, Jesus said, John 16, 33, in this world, you will suffer tribulation. No way around that. Bad stuff happens from time to time.
1: This is an interesting question from Abel. Would year 2020 have a significant meaning for change? For example, 20? Plus twenty equals forty, which is quarantine. Jesus was in the wilderness, forty days quarantine. Moses spent no. forty years in the wilderness, no. quarantine, no. forty weeks of no. human gestation, et cetera.
0: No. No, that's not how we interpret the Bible. We don't look in the Bible for fascinating patterns dealing with numbers. And I know some people make a bit of an industry out of that. No it, no, that's that I think we're barking up the wrong tree there. let's let's study line upon line, precept upon precept and uh, let God lead us in truth. Speculation doesn't usually help. Let's make this the last question, shall we?
1: Okay, the last question is, um, did you get the right Lamech last night? Oh, oh,
0: well, fascinating. I, I, look, I'm glad you noticed that because I just threw that out there, wondering if anybody would notice. Lamech is an old Hebrew word that means confusing sometimes. And so, last night you heard me talk about two Lamechs, and I gave them to you for the price of one. One Lamech was the son of Methusael; the other was the son of Methuselah, and was the dad of Noah. The Methusael was married to two women rather than one, and murdered the dude. The other one, Noah's dad, didn't. So I just ascribed some characteristics of one Lamech to another, and I hope you'll pardon me. Uh, that was a flub. I wonder if you can spot tonight's flub. Keep watching. Doug, thanks. Good to be here, John. Outstanding. I really appreciate it. I appreciate my guest joining me tonight. Dr. Marty Kelly is the attending physician, at Darnell Medical Center in Fort Hood, Texas. Dr. Marty Kelly, just outside Killeen, not far from San Antonio. Thanks for joining me. How are you tonight, sir? Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm really glad you're here. Now, I'm, I'm wanting to talk with you because you're on the front line in dealing with... Uh, COVID-19 patients. Tell me what you're up against there.
2: It's a lot of unknown at this point. Um, Each day, what we're facing seems to change. Our policies and the way we're doing things changes as we learn to adapt to the COVID patients that present themselves.
0: I wanna say thank you to you because you're right there in the deep end. How does it feel for you, for your wife, knowing that you're going to work every day and frankly, you could come home gravely ill? You might say that could happen in any day's work given your working environment, but but it's different with COVID-19. How do you gear up for that? How do you face that?
2: Well, I'm very fortunate because where I work, they provide us very good protection Uh, and equipment that we need to take care of patients. Um, We protect ourselves from the get-go with masks, uh, with gowns, and anyone that has COVID-14, we actually have something called pepper suits that we use to completely dress in with self-ventilating suits where we don't have to breathe the same air where patients are at.
0: Now, I know that you're saying here you feel pretty safe. Um, Let me ask you this. Why do you do it? knowing that you're literally putting you, I mean, you are, you're putting your life on the line. Why?
2: I went into emergency medicine uh, as a young intern years and years ago now, hoping to have a, a practical way to share Jesus with others. And in emergency medicine, we reach people at a very critical time in their lives, especially right now with all the people who have lots of questions of curiosity, fear, and so on, wondering what's going to happen tomorrow.
0: Yeah, what do you find people are wrestling with? You mentioned some of that. What what do you see when you look in people's eyes when someone is positive with COVID-19? The
2: biggest question I have is what's going to happen to me? What do I tell my family? Do I need to update my will? Mm.
0: Yeah, those are serious questions, aren't they? We're looking at questions of life and death. Now, this isn't your first rodeo. You were there at Fort Hood, during a couple of very unfortunate experiences, uh, indelicately described as a massacre, on one occasion at least. What was that like?
2: It was a very tough situation. Um, It's one of those things that you go through drills for, disaster drills, uh, to be prepared for situations like this. And it's a matter of when the occasion comes, You go through the things that you've learned ahead of time over and over again in trauma patients. Um, You hope to mobilize resources and so on, but we do have a blueprint that we've practiced before. The difference with COVID-19 is each day we're having to write the blueprint because we've not been in this situation before.
0: Well, Dr. Kelly, I wanna thank you and people like you. Let me give you one other opportunity. What would you say right now to other healthcare providers, people on the front lines who are in the thick of this, and they're worried, what would you say?
2: Our hands are in the Lord. Um, I tell the residents that, that I pray for them before I come in. I will pray with patients sometimes. And that seems to be very reassuring to them. And I think that does as much good as the medicines we give.
0: Dr. Kelly, thank you. On behalf of many, many, many other people, we're grateful for what you do. God bless you. We wish you all the very best. Stay safe. Stay well. Thanks for what you're doing.
2: Thank you
0: for having me. Dr. Marty Kelly, who is at the Darnell Medical Center at Fort Hood, Texas, uh, right there near Killeen, Texas. We're grateful. Let's pray together before we go further and open the Bible, let's pray. Father in heaven, bless us now as we come to your word. Encourage us, keep us in the center of your will and your heart. Speak now, we ask you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today, you can text or call or email or video call or just about do whatever you want. Back in the old days, I mean, I mean way back, uh, like the 1980s, you didn't have all of those choices. Even further back, people used to send telegrams, but of course, they've long gone out of vogue. Way on back, stock exchanges needed to find a way to transmit financial data quickly, so they used telegraph lines to send the data. That financial data would be printed out on a machine called a ticker, because of the sound it made, it ticked. The information itself was printed out on strips of white paper known as ticker tape. They started using this in the late 1860s. Tickers were also used at baseball stadiums and so forth to print out baseball scores from around the country. Used ticker tape would be used as confetti during parades, which is why today we have the term ticker tape parade. In New York City, ticker tape parades have been held since the 1880s. The first one was a spontaneous ticker-tape parade uh, held after the dedication of the Statue of Liberty in 1886. City (laughs) officials then caught on to the benefits of these parades, and so they started holding them with some regularity. There was a ticker-tape parade held to honor outgoing President Theodore Roosevelt after his African expedition. A large ticker-tape parade was held to honor Gertrude Ederle in 1926 after she became the first woman to swim the English Channel. It was a huge affair held in what they call the Canyon of Heroes, a stretch of a little more than half a mile long, running up Broadway from Battery Park in the south up to New York City Hall. Charles Lindbergh was honored the year after the Queen of the Waves, as she was called. Parades have been held for Vietnam veterans, for Olympic medal winners, for Baseball World Series, Series winners, for Nelson Mandela and other politicians, for Stanley Cup winners, Parades have been held for Super Bowl champions. You get the picture. And just yesterday, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that New York City is going to have the greatest ticker tape parade ever. He said that after the coronavirus crisis is over, the first thing we will do is we will have a ticker tape parade down the Canyon of Heroes for all of our healthcare workers and our first responders. He said, we will honor those who saved us which appropriately, I think, makes us stop and think. We're used to thinking of heroes as being sports stars and so forth. But if we really stop and think about it, we will realize that the people who truly make the big difference in society are people like, well, like those who serve in the military and teachers and law enforcement officers and aid workers and firefighters. Let's think about some, some real heroes. I wanna tell you about a gentleman, you've heard of him, his name was Wesley Autry, a the man they called the Subway Samaritan. In 2007, a 20-year-old man suffered a seizure on the platform of a subway station in New York City and he fell onto the tracks. While a train was approaching, Mr. Autry threw himself on top of the man in a drainage trench between the tracks. The train passed over top of them so close, it left grease on Mr. Autry's cap. That was heroic. Three weeks later, he was a guest of President George W. Bush at the State of the Union address. But let's bring it closer to what we're dealing with today. There are countless examples of people doing truly heroic things. One Detroit physician who was close to retirement volunteered to go to the front lines and treat COVID-19 patients. Dr. Stanley Berry told Time Magazine, I do have fear, but the bravest people that I knew of in my lifetime Medya Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. all knew they were going to die. They went ahead and did it anyway. I don't want to die, and I'm not in this to be a hero, but medicine's been good to me, and the city of Detroit's been good to me, and we're being clobbered right now. My will is made, so I'm just going to try to follow all the guidelines for wearing personal protective equipment and help. How about that? Another physician, Dr. Sarah Rosenell, in the same publication, Time magazine, said, I'm a mother of three children. I have an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old. I chose medicine to really help people in the most meaningful way possible. After I was exposed and I wasn't protected at all, my husband, my parents, my in-laws, everybody around me told me, that's it, you're not going back. We want a wife and a mother. We don't need a cardiologist. We don't need a doctor. We love you and we want you to stay with us. Everybody came to me and told me, do not go back. But I felt it was a moral duty. I thought it was unethical to not go back. I love my children more than anything in the world. I love my children. I could not have not gone back. I want to help. Isn't that something? That's powerful. Prince Philip, the husband of Queen Elizabeth II, said a couple of days ago, quoted by the BBC, I want to recognize the vital and urgent work being done by so many to tackle the pandemic by those in the medical and scientific professions, at universities and religious, uh, sorry, and research institutions, all united in working to protect us from COVID-19. On behalf of those of us who remain safe and at home, I also wanted to thank all key workers who ensure the infrastructure of our life continues, the staff and volunteers working in food production and distribution, those keeping postal and delivery services going, and those ensuring the rubbish continues to be collected. That's right, the rubbish, the trash. Let's think about these people making such a big difference. There are police patrolling our streets, and anyone out there is at risk. In some places, the risk is much higher than others. I'm grateful for those who produce the food we buy without giving it a second thought. And as Prince Philip said, there are people picking up our rubbish, our trash. You'd soon notice it if that service stopped. You might wanna thank some of those people. A woman who runs a beauty salon got a job at a supermarket after hours just so she could keep her business afloat. She said, I've gotta keep my girls employed so they can put food on the table. She said the business was shut, had been for weeks, but she's taken on a job working nights so there's money for her staff to survive. She's already tapped her personal savings to make sure that her employees don't lose their jobs. How awesome is that? Jeff Langham owns a company called Drain Ninjas, and he said, I think my frontline guys are the real heroes of the lockdown, dealing with human waste and water overflows, which almost inevitably will contain the virus if it's present. Every job they go to has a risk factor for them, and if the virus is present, it is a major hazard to their health and maybe even their lives. Langham said his team is, not I quote, the wastewater equivalent to the brave firefighters and ambulance staff, but without the sirens or the flashing lights. LA Times ran a headline that said, nurses are the coronavirus heroes. I read that when an Italian hospital ran out of ICU valves, a local business brought a 3D printer to the hospital and redesigned and produced the needed valves in a few hours. That's cool. Now, everywhere you turn, you're seeing and and you're hearing, we can do this together. And that's a necessary emphasis. It's one thing for a nurse to work in the ICU, but all of those health workers are relying on us to do the right things. We can appreciate an emergency room physician, but if you can keep yourself out of there or protect your loved ones so they don't have to go in there, that's even better. We know by now what to do. We wash our hands. That was always a good idea, by the way. We are maintaining a safe distance. We are doing this, not coughing out where droplets can spread and cause contamination. Many people are wearing masks. And we are not stockpiling toilet paper. That was never smart. Now, we've mentioned already that there's a far deadlier disease than COVID-19, and every single person on the planet has been infected by it it's truly deadly. Here's what we know. The Bible tells us that all have sinned, all, and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. So what is sin? This deadly disease, always fatal. There are several ways you might want to define it, but biblically, one straightforward definition is found in 1 John 3:4. It says, sin is the transgression of the law, or as some translations put it, sin is lawlessness. So as we look around, do we see much lawbreaking going on? Well, in the United States, there are more than 2.3 million people behind bars, roughly one in every 100 adults. If those on parole or probation are included, one adult in 31 in the United States is under correctional supervision. This country has 4% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prison population, 33% of the world's female prison population. Now there's plenty of controversy about that. It's probably best for us not to go there right now, but those are the numbers. There are locks on every home and people still break in. There are police in every town and criminals still commit crimes. It's not as though no one is aware of the law. There's a lot of crime, a lot of trouble in the world, a lot of law-breaking. And in spite of our best efforts The best efforts we know of to reduce the crime rate, it's still sky high. In the United States, according to the United Nations statistics, there's a shocking 17,000 or so murders a year. That's a lot. But the United States murder rate is lower than that of Greenland. The murder rate is lower than that of Turks and Caicos. It's about half that of Russia's murder rate. In fact, there are 87 countries in the world with a higher murder rate than the United States. Sorry, Barbados, you're twice as high. Puerto Rico, three and a half times higher. Mexico, five times higher. El Salvador, the champion, 12 times higher. That's a championship you don't want to win. There are many other statistics we could look at That's just one, but it makes a point. There's a lot of crime in the world. Was that what God envisaged in the beginning? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at Genesis 2, 9. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. This was paradise. Genesis 2, starting in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Happy days! Except that as we saw last time we were together, it turned to custard pretty quickly. So what did God do about this? Well, I'll mention two things. The second later. First. God gave the human family guidelines for life. More than a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, God gave something to the world, not only guidelines, but something by which God would show us what He wants to do in our lives. You find the Ten Commandments in two places in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20. And Exodus 20 starts like this. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage." So notice how this goes. God says, I freed you, and therefore I have this for you. Notice, the Ten Commandments were given to people who were free. The idea was, because I've set you free, free to worship me, I got you out of that heathen land Because you've been set free, this is what your life is going to look like. When you've been set free, this is how life will be. You know, I find this interesting or alarming. A poll in Britain just a few years ago revealed that British Christians feel that only six of the Ten Commandments are, and I quote the reporting, important principles to live by. In the land of Wycliffe and Tyndale and Wesley, Christians feel that only six of the Ten Commandments are important principles to live by. So which ones don't make the cut? Well, the majority said that not worshiping idols, taking the Lord's name in vain, keeping the Sabbath holy, and not worshiping other gods aren't so important anymore. Well, let's look through the Ten Commandments and see if we can find the important ones, shall we? Commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. When God sets you free, you have no other gods before Him. He is first in your life. Commandment two, thou shalt not make any graven images and bow down to worship them. Worshiping an image or an idol lowers your conception of God. God made rocks and trees. He made the stuff that false gods are made out of. It just lowers you, and God knew that. Commandment three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. God's name is holy. When you've been set free, you're not gonna use God's name callously or carelessly. And notice this, it has been suggested that someone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus and really is not, is taking God's name in vain. We might want to think about that too. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is about making time for God and recognizing God as Creator. This is great. It tells us God wants to spend time with you. God assumes you'd be happy to spend time with Him. It's clear God wants to connect with His children. Commandment five, Honor thy father and thy mother. Family is important. Respect is important. Family bonds are to be protected. We know that the family as an institution is under attack. Commandment 6 Thou shalt not kill. We are to respect life. I think we all agree with that one. Commandment 7 Thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, this is about protecting the family, respecting those you love, providing a place of security for others. The eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. We all wish people would obey this one, don't we? Notice British Christians didn't say that this one can go. We want people to follow this principle, that's for sure. Commandment nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. God doesn't like lying. There's no trust when there is dishonesty. Society can't function that way. Tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. This is inordinate desire or want for what is not yours. Doesn't mean you can't like a vehicle or or, or a certain item, but coveting promotes dissatisfaction, not only with what you have, but with how God is providing for you. It would seem there's nothing wrong with any of those laws, or would you differ? I don't think so. If these were obeyed, there'd be no murder, theft, adultery, dishonesty. People would be vastly more satisfied with life It has been said there are so many laws in the United States, no one knows how many there are. It's true for most countries, but God managed to sum up His laws in just 10 statements. But let's be real. The challenge really isn't knowing the difference between right and wrong. There are precious few people who would think it's acceptable to steal or who don't know society has standards about taking innocent lives. It's basically programmed into you from the beginning that it's right to respect your parents or your marriage. If I stood here and told you, you shouldn't lie, you're not likely gonna be enlightened by that statement. So the question isn't, what do we do? The question is, how do we do it? Even though there are only 10 commandments, keeping them can seem like an impossibility. How do you live in harmony with God? Look at what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Have you ever had that same feeling? I want to do right, but I don't seem to be able to find my way to clearly, uh, actually do what's right. Paul wrote to the same people, the church in Rome. He said, there is none who does good, no, not one. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 64 that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So when you start to think you're doing pretty good, Isaiah helps you to see the truth of the matter. Now notice what God says about His followers in the end of time. You read this in a part of the Bible uh, called by John, who wrote the book of Revelation, the everlasting gospel. So this is good news. He wrote these words, again, talking about people following God in earth's final days. And he said, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So how about that? Even though you find it hard not to fume at someone in traffic, even though when you're put on the spot, you don't always tell the truth, let's say or if you know you're terribly disrespectful to your parents or your spouse we read that followers of god are to keep the commandments of god and by the way see what david wrote in the psalms in psalm 119 longest chapter in the bible the bible says great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them those who have peace are the ones who love god's law There's something that happens when you and God are on the same wavelength, something that floods your life with hope and peace. When I was growing up as a small boy, we had an old radio in the kitchen of our home my dad would listen to. One of those old radios. And if you weren't quite on the station, it'd sound terrible. It'd be staticky. You know the sound. You couldn't hear the radio clearly. So what you needed to do was tune the radio to the station accurately. When you got right on the frequency, the message came through clear. What we want to do is get on the same frequency as God. But here's the challenge. The world we're living in, Jesus saw it coming. He said in Matthew 24, 12, "...because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Paul told us that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And if you want to know why we're seeing all this craziness and evil in the world, well, we know from last time we got together that there is a conspiracy afoot, an attempt to undermine God and His authority. Remember that conspiracy? You see it run from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. There is an enemy that wants worship. He wants you to turn away from God and serve Him, not God. Look at Revelation 12, 12. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Why? Because he knows that he has a short time. Notice this, the devil is working with increasing fury because he knows that his time is running out. Every day that passes is a day left that He has. So He kicks it up a notch and goes with renewed force and anger. So what do we do? Look at Romans six sixteen. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. It says there, we are the servants of the one we choose to obey, the one that we yield to. If we yield to God, we are his servants. If we yield to sin and obey sin, we are clearly the servant of sin or of the enemy of souls. And there's a point there that I'm going to come back to. It's about that word yield. We'll get back to that. Writing in Revelation, John said that the world would follow a power the Bible calls the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. In fact, prophecy tells us there would be a power coming along that would think to change times and laws, inspiring people to consider themselves as their own moral authority. That's why we're seeing a massive amount of disregard for law, including God's law. We want a future for our children, but it's getting tougher these days with sin. A generation ago, you had to go looking for sin. Now it comes looking for you. The media, the internet pumping out temptation constantly. You wonder, does God have a way out? Oh, of course He does. Look at this verse again, Revelation 14, 12. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So how does that happen? We're like Paul. So often we want to do what's right and we find ourselves failing. But here's the difference. Look at what David wrote. And before you do, remember who David was or what David was. David had a stable of wives. He was responsible for 70,000 deaths in one fell swoop. He had one man killed just so he could take his wife. Bad stuff. But look at this. It is powerful. David said in Psalm 40 and verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. And there it is. If God writes His law in your heart, He places within you a desire to follow God's will and the ability or the power to do so. It's one thing to know you have to. It's another thing to want to. And God can change your heart so that you want to honor and serve and obey Him, so that sin loses its appeal. We want that. James wrote that we will be judged by the Ten Commandments. He called it the law of liberty, freedom. And so we want that law of freedom written in our heart. That's the experience the Bible calls the new covenant experience. God says he will put his laws into our minds and write them in our hearts. Hebrews 10, 16. What if God did that? What if God wrote his law in your mind, in your heart? Then the person who doesn't want what's right will find herself being drawn towards wanting to do God's will. The sinner will find strength in God as God remakes him. If God writes His law in your heart, then you can go beyond knowing what you ought to be doing and you can get all the way to wanting to live God's way and accepting His presence so you can keep on growing in Him. There are some people who know God's will, just don't have any interest in doing it. And then there are those who know God's will and want to do it, but they find it impossible to do what they wanna do. God says He'll write His law in your heart. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven or earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Why would Jesus be so emphatic about this? He didn't want us to think God's law could be changed in any way. He knew that the Ten Commandments are good for society. Jesus didn't want us to change God's law. He wanted to change our hearts. Now, a good question to ask is this. I'm hearing you. Which laws of God are still in effect? Are we meant to offer animal sacrifices today? That was in the law, wasn't it? Or what about keeping feast days? Is it mandatory today like it was back in Moses' time? Something to remember is this. In the Bible, you have two major divisions in the law. You have what we call the moral law or the Ten Commandments, and then there's what I'll call the ceremonial law. And there are some big differences between the two. You read in Deuteronomy chapter 10 that the moral law was written by God. It was written on tables of stone, and it was put in the Ark of the Covenant whereas Deuteronomy 31 talks about a law that was written by Moses, written in a book, put in the side of the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible says this law contained ordinances and information about offerings and annual feasts and new moons. There's a passage in Colossians 2 that you might read might cause you to think that maybe God's law is not important. Look at it with me. It says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. It goes on to say, Let no man judge you therefore in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. Something was blotted out. Do you think it was the Ten Commandments? Just imagine if it was. If the Ten Commandments were blotted out, it would be okay to steal, okay to kill, okay to lie, okay to worship graven images, okay to forget about the Sabbath day, okay to have other gods before God. Common sense tells you the Ten Commandments were never blotted out. Oh no, it was the ceremonial law that was blotted out. And I'm glad about that. It means you don't have to offer an animal sacrifice today. You don't have to keep the Passover today. Why is that? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was the one who was sacrificed for sin. He died for our sins so that we can be forgiven and made right with God. Jesus is the Passover lamb who was slain. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Yes, God has given us a law to live by, a law to follow, and yes, we've broken it. It says that in the Bible. What have we learned already? the wages of sin is death. We deserve for sin, death. That's because sin separates us from God. What we need is for that separation to be removed and then the power to stay connected to Jesus and not be separated from Him. Listen to this good news. Earlier, I asked you what God did. I said I would mention two things. First, God gave the human family guidelines for life. But human beings have stumbled there ever since sin came into the world. So here's the second thing God did. John 3:16. "...for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life." You see, there was such love in the heart of God that Jesus was willing to die for you and bear your sins. He was falsely accused. He was beaten, tortured, died a horrible death on the old rugged cross so that you can live forever. And it says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Recognize you've sinned. Believe that Jesus died to save you. Confess your sins. And then believe He sets you free. You, you just got to believe, have faith. It becomes a reality in your life. A free gift. Gifts are free. There's no other kind of gift. This is free. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Aren't you glad about that? Sin leads to death. But God comes to you with a gift, the gift of life, offers it to you freely. That's what we call grace. And what happens through this grace? The Bible says that you're born again. That means you're not the same person you used to be. You are new now. Paul says, old things are passed away. All things become new. You're under the power of another force. Whereas Paul says, we were by nature the children of wrath, God gives you a new nature. You're born again. And you can say with David, I delight to do your will, O my God, yea, thy law is written in my heart. Now, let me explain something. Is Is it possible that a person might say, but we are not meant to be under the law? Listen to this. When you are a lost sinner, you're under the law. If you're trying to get to heaven without relying on Jesus, you're under the law. That is, you're under the penalty for having broken the law. But when you accept what Jesus has done for you, you're no longer under the penalty of death for having broken the law, but you've received salvation as a gift by grace. Then the old sinner that you were is made new. God writes His law in your heart and gives you power to live right. That's what grace does. You are made right with God. You are justified by faith in Jesus. And the Bible says that being justified by faith, we have peace. This is what many people miss. You know what too many people are doing? They're trying harder. This reminds me of the question that I had earlier, and I said we'll come back to that. Hope you're listening. People say, I've sinned, but I'll do better next time. I've done wrong but I'll try harder and I will do better. But it doesn't work like that. Remember, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You don't want to do better. You don't want to do your best. You want God to do His best. And when He does, I'll tell you what happens. Philippians 1, 6 says this, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is what God does in your life. Philippians 2.13 says, "...for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure." 1 Thessalonians 5.24, "...He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it." And now look again with me at this verse, Revelation 14.12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This is what God does when He changes your life. Let me share this principle with you. I've got a story to tell you in just a moment. Let me share this with you. You see, there are some people who hear a discussion about the Ten Commandments and they will say, but we don't need the Ten Commandments. No, of course you do. Unless you're happy with murder and mayhem and theft and deceit and whatever else. Of course we do. But what you really mean is we are not saved by the Ten Commandments. And so you might have just heard me say, you are saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. I want to make this just about as plain as the nose on my face. No one is saved. No one curries favor with God. Nobody gets in God's good graces by obeying the Ten Commandments. Obedience comes as a result of love for God. Obedience comes as a response to God having saved you. You see, you can be saved as a miserable wretch, and then God will grow you into greater and greater love and obedience as a result of what He's done. We aren't saved by the law. We don't need the Ten Commandments for salvation. Understand what you mean. You don't mean we don't want to keep them. You mean that we're not saved by them. And you are right. We are saved by grace through faith, but saved people will love God enough that His will is done in their life. I remember, I could never forget actually, driving home one night when I saw flashing lights behind me. I was in the state of Kentucky. Some of my best stories come from the state of Kentucky. I thought to myself, who's getting pulled over? And then realized it was a deserted road, that somebody was me. I pulled over, the officer asked me why I was speeding. I didn't even realize why I'd be, that I'd been speeding. But that's not good enough. The sign said 35. He said, did you see the sign? What sign? I knew I was in trouble. He took my license and went back to his car. I prayed, Lord, I broke the law. I really did. I'm sorry. If you can get me out of this, I would appreciate it. <laughs> But if you choose not to, I've only got myself to blame. At that time, I was under the law, under the penalty for having broken the law. The law could get me. It could affect me. But the officer came back and handed me a courtesy notice. He said, I don't want to catch you driving too fast around here again. And I said, no, you won't catch me. He let me go. His name, Trooper Payne. I have his autograph on that courtesy notice, which I have kept. God bless you, Trooper Payne. It's been 25 years, so I don't think you'll get outed for being too lenient. He could have thrown the book at me. So what was that that I experienced? I experienced grace. I was now under grace. God chooses not to throw the book at you because you've chosen Jesus. You are under grace. Does it mean you don't have to obey Him? Wrong question. You want to do His will. Grace isn't licensed to live without reference to God. It's God's blessing towards you for salvation. And you respond to that by giving Him your heart. God's got a great plan for you and me, a plan of grace. If only people would come to Him and accept that plan and be changed by grace, there'd be peace where now there's not peace. We talk about nations and wars, but what about your heart tonight, friend? Is there peace there? God wants to give you that peace through the work of His grace. If you'd embrace Jesus as your Savior, open your heart up to the working of God. Something will happen in your life. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's less of a command, more of an inevitability. And what happens in your life as a result? Jesus comes and brings his presence and his goodness and his peace. Love for God brings the peace of God into your life. There was a time Jesus was in a boat with His closest friends. A storm came up so bad, they thought they were gonna perish. In a panic, they woke Jesus who looked at the wind and the waves and He said, peace, be still. Would you like to have Jesus speak that same peace into your life tonight? You see, Jesus is our hero in a time of crisis. He stooped to the lowest form and took the toughest job. He had no form nor comeliness. He was despised and rejected of men. He took our sin and gave us His righteousness. In this upside down world, Jesus wants to speak peace into your life and He will if you'll let Him. He'll do in your life what you can't do, living His life in you. God wants you to identify with His heroes, those who on this earth and earth's last days are trusting Him, leaning on Him, allowing the world to see what God can do not in people who are strong, but in people who are leaning on the strong one for strength. You want to be that person? Jesus is coming back soon. We don't know when. The signs say soon. Can you lean on him for your strength tonight? Let me pray with you. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, give us grace to lean on you. Fill us with your presence. Let your grace flood our lives so we can live the sort of life you have promised we might live. Thank you for Jesus tonight. And keep us, we ask you, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for being part of Hope Awakens tonight. Remember to get tonight's resources at hopeawakens.com. Click on the resources tab. It's been wonderful to see you. I will look for you two nights from now for From F*** to Victory on Hope Awakens.